I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2021 Strip Till Farmer podcast series supported by the Andersons. In today's program, we get some perspective from two strip till experts on the ongoing evolution of the practice in California and the Western U.S. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you will be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to the Andersons for their support of this podcast series. A nutrient management program is essential to maximize crop productivity and yields. The key is providing the right nutrients at the right time throughout the growing season. The Andersons' high-yield programs make it easy to plan a season-long approach for many row and specialty crops. Download yours today at andersonsplantnutrient.com slash high-yield. While at the turn of the century, less than 2% of California's annual crop acreage was farmed using anything approaching reduced disturbance tillage practices. Highly intensive, clean cultivation tillage was the dominant way to go by far at the time. Today, however, the state is seeing unprecedented transformations of tillage management systems, including strip-till, for a relatively wide variety of crops throughout California's Central Valley especially forage crops for the expansive West Coast dairy industry. University of California Davis researcher Jeff Mitchell and Tipton, California strip-tiller Tom Barcellus have been longtime regional advocates of broader adoption of strip-till as a way to control erosion, preserve moisture, and increase soil health. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, supported by the Andersons, we share excerpts from our conversation with Jeff and Tom, talking about the current landscape of the area's hay and forage market and how strip-till has become an essential, efficient practice in the supply chain. Well, welcome. We're very excited to have with us today Jeff Mitchell, Cropping system Specialist with the University of California, Davis, and Tom Barcellus with Barcellus Farms and T-Bar Dairy. Really appreciate you gentlemen making the time to be with us here today and share some of your experiences and perspective. Uh, taking a look at the hay and forage equipment market and uh, industry, how things have been evolving and taking shape there in California. Um, so just starting out, I'd, I'd like to invite each of you just to share a little bit about your background. And Tom, why don't we start with you, um, giving us a, a sense of the scope and, and depth of your operation. Okay, Jack, thank you for this opportunity. Uh, of course, my name is Tom Barcellus. I grew up on the family dairy farm. Uh, born in 55. So, you know, we had some of the less technological time. Um, we were an 800 acre uh, cropping operation and a 300 cow dairy. Um, I've been in business myself since 1976. So I've got 45 years down farming right now, about 1800 acres, mostly dairy feeds at this point. Uh, we also do some pistachios, oranges, lemons, uh, expanding out. And we do a lot of commercial farming, uh, chopping, uh, hay work, uh, a lot of different things for other dairies in the area. So uh, that's kind of me in a nutshell. All right, Jeff, uh, how about a little bit about your uh, history in, in academia? Well, thank you very much. I, I precede Tom by th about three years now, so I'm uh, a, a bit older there. I'm out of uh, UC Davis, the Department of Plant Sciences, and over the the last, well, pretty near 30 years, I've had the very good fortune of working with truly outstanding pioneer farmers like Tom Barcelos here in the Central Valley of California. 
And for much of that time, what we've been trying to do is uh, really what we're talking about today, look at improved performance, uh, reduced disturbance kind of tillage management systems for a variety of crops. And it turns out that the dairy silage sector was really one of the first to uh, begin moving in this direction uh, in the early 2000s there. So uh, we've got uh, probably maybe 15 or so years of, of progress and innovation and change uh, to talk with you about today, Jack. Well, that's great. That, that's a good. Uh, it's a good cross section. We got a lot of a lot of ground to cover. Um, so the first question I, I think I'd like to throw out to both of you uh, to get your your takes on, um, you know, what do you see as kind of some of the equipment trends that are shaping the hay and forage market there in uh, in the western part of the U.S. Uh, what's kind of driving things, and and how is that evolution uh, progressing? I think uh, let me maybe a little bit of history and and here, Jack, at the at the turn of the century, uh, we actually tracked or tried to, to gauge the practices in terms of silage production and all kinds of different crop production in terms of tillage management. And at that time, less than 2% of the dairy, corn acreage, and winter small grain forage acreage was implementing anything we might call close to strip till or no-till. So it was a very small percentage of the production practices that were using those kinds of reduced disturbance tillage practices. Since then, however, uh, the percentage has probably gotten over 40%. So that very, very rapid and very dramatic increases in the use of strip till and no-till in particularly in the corn silage sector there. And, and that has happened by and large by the introduction of uh, new equipment, new pieces of equipment, new companies and the strip tiller uh, sector. And uh, farmers like Tom uh, sticking their necks out and uh, taking or original risks and, and, and chances on it and making things work there. So we've seen a dramatic transformation in in the adoption of those kind of practices uh, that prior to that time really did not uh, exist, really. Would you agree with that, Tom, I think? Yeah, 2001 was the turning point for our operation. Um, and we made a complete conversion from uh, conventional tillage on our corn silage to, uh, to strip till and uh, no-till. And just about everybody in my local area has, has followed that change uh, within a matter of a couple of years. Uh, so we're very, very strong in this particular area, uh, having to do with, with the strip till. Mostly there's still some no till around, uh, you know, but generally we need to have a little bit of tillage for our, uh, for our needs based on weed control, soil types, uh, you know, but we adopted a lot of the equipment that was being used in the Midwest. Uh, and we learned a lot from, uh, you know, North Dakota and, and a few other areas. Uh, Orthman back in Nebraska, you know, with their equipment. So um, it was a matter of taking what was available and adapting it and then uh, fine-tuning it. But uh, it saved us a tremendous amount of money, time, fuel, um, you know, it, it absolutely became a direction we needed to go in. And 
Of course, that came with the advent of Roundup Ready corn because we irrigate. Um, so we had weed pressures that, you know, other areas didn't follow when we double crop. So there was a lot to deal with. Jack, just to, just to add on to what Tom just said there, I'm looking at Tom and you're in your office there. And I remember, Jack, uh, probably in some of those early days that Tom himself, he hosted uh, one of the real pioneers from South America and Brazil, uh, John Landers. And we had a meeting way back in those early days uh, to learn a little bit. And John showed his PowerPoint up on Tom's wall up there. So that was a, a, a memorable time for us in this progression there. Another thing that I think is important, maybe, Jack, if, if you allow me to talk, this is my own opinion on this here, but Tom mentioned one of the equipment companies there, and, and uh, it seems to me that the, the one strip tiller uh, manufacturer that probably to this very day has seen the greatest uh, spread or uh, visibility or uptake of their, their, their machine has been one that actually had a local-based distributor person or representative who was here in California and it, she was out here in those early days and uh, I think that had a role in, in you know in getting attention to their implement there uh, there are and there have been others that have uh, uh, become part of the, the production landscape there but uh, having that local pre presence I actually think that was quite important in those early days. That, that's a good segue, I think, into the next question I wanted to pose to each of you was, um, you know, thinking about the advent and, and the development of, of, of strip till, particularly, you know, in, in the silage uh, side of things there in, in that market. You compared it to kind of obviously, you know, the Midwest where, you know, you think about, you know, strip till probably being a little bit more uh, widely adopted, although, you know, not, not that it's mainstream, but, you know, certainly, you know, more common perhaps, but there's obviously a an opportunity, you know, in, in that market as well. Um, you know, when you're thinking about how to get established, you know, as, as an equipment manufacturer, you know, with strip till um, or equipment, you know, in general in, in the, uh, the hay and forage industry, you know, what, what are your guys' thoughts? And I mean, Jeff, you already mentioned the fact that that local presence, you know, was huge, you know, that, that had an impact certainly with farmers and being able to um, have that presence was curious, you know, what are you guys seeing or what do you guys want or hope for or suggest, you know, for companies that might want to get into that market out there? What do they need to do? Well, I think primarily, you know, we didn't have the World Ag Expo this past year. Um, you know, a lot of the things that we were able to see uh, was brought out to for comparison during that type of show um, because they just don't send things out to have them out here and be primarily because the dealers were not uh, in tune to that uh, but as Jeff mentioned there was a manufacturer that had a dealer rep out here uh, and they had an outstanding product to start with and so once those things started to move then other dealers who didn't carry that line started looking for lines that they could carry to, carry to compete, uh, which gave a lot more opportunity uh, and a lot more options. So, uh, you know, it's like anything else. It's a follow the leader kind of thing. Um, you know, it, and I don't know how much more this equipment could be developed. Uh, I mean, we've 
thrown a lot of ideas out. There's been a lot of adaptation already. Um, and things are really working well. But you know what? Somebody comes along and thinks outside the box, and then all of a sudden you have a new trend. So, you know, there's nothing that's going to stop. Uh, but I think we're in pretty good shape with equipment we have now. Uh, no, I, I would agree with that, Jack. And, and I think that's uh, said very nicely, Tom. Uh, yeah, the, there, there is a variety of, uh, there are many strip tillers available throughout the country for sure. There, the, the Orthman that tends to have the greatest uptake, I think it's fair probably to say that right now, currently anyway, you know, it does not have the big parabolic deeper shank that some strip tillers have there. And I guess that's probably suited the purposes for, for production systems in, in this particular region anyway. I think that there, there might be some need for manufacturer attention in the smaller acreage sector. And I, the reason I say that is because I, I have a picture that I could show you or share with you both there of a relatively small dairyman who actually uh, put together his own, you know, almost uh, handmade strip tiller there and uh, didn't have the means or the, the, the horsepower uh, capability to do that. So there, smaller scale implements might be something that, that could be useful, but, but the, the vast market and the, by and large, the, the folks that are, you know, in the industry like Tom, uh, they have a certain scale with them and, and the larger six, eight or, or so row implements are the ones that are probably needed and most necessary. We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, the Andersons, for making this podcast possible. A nutrient management program is essential to maximize crop productivity and yields. The key is providing the right nutrients at the right time throughout the growing season. The Andersons high yield programs make it easy to plan a season long approach for many row and specialty crops. Download yours today at andersonsplantnutrient.com slash high yield. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Jeff Mitchell and Tom Barcellis reflecting on some additional early lessons and opportunities ahead for strip till in California. Thinking about kind of, I guess, the, the scale of, of some of the dairy operations, the, the hay and forage uh, operations out there. Um, Jeff, you mentioned, you know, kind of the six to eight row units if we're talking strip till. Um, you know, thinking about some of the other equipment um, needs or, or necessities, um, you know, to successfully maintain that operation. Um, anything that you see that that's missing, you know, if you kind of, this is kind of the magic wand, you know, magic eight ball uh, question on, you know, what, if you could kind of have a face to face with a manufacturer uh, or a supplier and just say, Hey, you know what, you know what, what would really be great and what would really be a game changer in this market is this. Maybe it's a modification of something that's already existing. Maybe it's something entirely new. Um, but was curious, you know, if you guys had any thoughts, uh, maybe, maybe it's a system, maybe it's a systematic change, but. Well, one of the things that, that is something that I saw last year and we actually had a little demo on it and I'm a little bit intrigued, but that was kind of a power tiller. But to me, it was overkill because it tilled the entire thing. It wasn't a strip power tiller. Is that something that's necessary? Uh, potentially, maybe. 
And the reason is, you know, we've got a wholesale change going on out here now uh, in California because of our water situation. A lot of awareness. Uh, again, as I mentioned, I'm in Tulare County, which is considered a critically overdraft basin because we pump a lot of water. Uh, we irrigate everything. And so when we don't have enough snow or rain, then we're limited on our surface water, which tends to lead us to pump more. Well, now restrictions are coming in. And um, I know somebody from the Midwest would say, wow, you irrigate? Or if you're in Colorado, you say, well, we've been restricted for 45 or 50 or 60 years. It's, it's a complete different animal we're dealing with. Uh, we call it SIGMA, which is Sustainable Groundwater Management Act that was enacted by our California legislature. Uh, new ball game. So we're having to reevaluate a lot of things. And, and we think minimum soil disturbance, again, is really going to help us get through. Uh, it's going to help us to keep uh, water moving quickly so it doesn't uh, percolate below the root zones. So things are changing as well, and there could be some new style implements coming along that could help us do that. Now, let me, let me follow up on what you said there, Tom, very nicely uh, put there, I think, Jack. In terms of the actual equipment and, and maybe some of the ideas, Jack, a common approach right now follows on what Tom said there, and not, not necessarily a rototiller finishing mm -hmm. kind of a tool, but using strip tillage in a couple of passes. So they might come right into winter uh, small grain forage stubble with initial uh, Orthman unit there, and then a day or so after might, uh, one, of the, one of the companies out here, uh, that you're familiar with California Ag Solutions, they really provided a very good service to a lot of farmers and particularly dairy folks uh, by having custom uh, machinery available. They will come out and do a small amount of acreage for a given fee there, just for a short time to get the, the farmer uh, up to speed with, uh, and they do things well. They know how to set the equipment up. They are very conscientious to detail and they, they provide the service uh, in, in a very good way there. After they run an Orthman through the field, as Tom suggested there, they'll run also what they call a, a Yetter finishing strip tiller tool that conditions that seed line or that strip there. So I, I'm not sure I always agree that that's always necessary, but it's, it's their call and to get the, the finer condition seed bed. And that, that one, two pass, uh, it looks very good. So, Tom, obviously, um, you know, you've, you've maintained your dairy and, and your um, cropping operation, um, you know, for decades. So kind of putting yourself in a position of, uh, you know, a farmer that might be uh, less experienced in this, in this area, uh, or maybe it's a transition on the farm. And, uh, you know, you have another generation or, or different ownership, you know, whether it's uh, family or, or business uh, owned. Thinking about, I guess, the, the decision-making process, you know, in terms of equipment selection and purchasing for a hay and forage operation, you know, what do you see as some of those uh, decision points that, that need to be made, not necessarily starting out, but, you know, if there are evolutions that maybe need to take place or should take place to kind of keep that business uh, of the farm 
sustainable, you know, for years to come. And then this could be true of your own operation as well. Well, I, I think the, the major principle of any decision, um, as long as I've been in business and it probably has been for many generations before and will continue to be, is going to be a return on investment. Um, you know, some things cost a lot of money, but they also return in benefit, you know, multifold. So the question will be, you know, what am I going to get out of this deal? Um, you know, some, I, the old school, you know, says I've got equipment, it's paid for, why should I buy anything else? Well, you know, you need to maintain, you know, the integrity of the equipment. It gets fatigued, eventually it's broke down and right at a critical time you have issues. But I think new equipment as it's being developed, similar to what Jeff mentioned, okay, here's one tool running and we run another tool behind it. You know, many, many years ago, we, uh, we merged two implements that we're still running today. And there was, a, there was a couple of local manufacturers that picked up on the idea and now they're selling them. They started manufacturing and selling what we built. I probably should have tried to patent it, but it didn't, wouldn't have done any good. But, and, it, and it was as simple as a, uh, you know, that's what we use to make borders, uh, you know, in our, in our crops. And, you know, we put borders up that sometimes stay there for eight to 10 years. Uh, because, you know, we're doing uh, strip till and, and stuff behind it. So the idea of, you know, equipment evolving is never, never grows old. You know, you, I remember when a certain planter came out when I first started and I got that planter and I saw the corn stand in it. It just looked like, you know, you took a tape measure and put everything together. And I thought, wow, how can they ever get any better? Oh, man, that's, that's so old school now. It's unbelievable. So... Well, you, you know, your, your point about return on investment, Tom, is, is utterly important, obviously, for farmers. But I'm just thinking of your question, Jack, in terms of the manufacturer's viewpoint. They, too, need to, to, to have a return on investment. And I think, you know, I, the encouragement would be that uh, uh, I think we're ripe for, 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 and recept, receptive to innovation out here, for sure, if, if there are implements that could the bill here, I think we'd be very, very appreciative of seeing those and having a chance to learn about those. In the early part of the, this century, Jack, that Tom described there when he started in 2001, you know, there were not these implements. They were not out here. We did not have the availability. They weren't being introduced even at the World Ag Expo right next to where Tom lives there in Tulare County. And little by little, they started to be introduced uh, gradually, but uh, that's been an important part of the, the process is having, uh, you know, on-site local reps that are, that are willing and able to make those, you know, dedicated visits and, and, and show the implements that they have there. I think that's been very important there. I remember the day that the first 16-row Orthman strip tiller was delivered and tried in a field up just north of where we both are here in, in Madera County. And you know, it was spectacular and, a, and quite an event there to, to see that finally happening. So one of the, one of the questions um, that I had kind of a bigger picture thing was, um, you know, thinking about uh, that manufacturing side or supplier side, even dealership side, what do each of you see as, as maybe the greatest opportunity and then also the greatest challenge along that supply chain in the hay and forage market? in California that uh, is currently, I guess, trending? You know, what, what, what do you see as uh, 
each of those uh, opportunity obstacle um, that's probably most present right now? I think the biggest challenge to a manufacturer today when he's looking at California and he's looking at forage, uh, maybe developing a forage tool or something of that nature is how long is the acreage going to be there? You know, the, the growth of the, of the tree industry, uh, almonds, pistachios, walnuts, um, you know, I have pistachios myself that uh, used to be an alfalfa. Um, you know, of course, it was involved in a rotation, but um, I, I see dairies that, uh, you know, have been sold in the last uh, five years, you know, that had a few hundred, you know, six, seven hundred acres uh, where they retired. There wasn't a family member wanted to take it over. They sold it to uh, an investment group and the dairy is now gone and it's all planted in trees. You know, so there's there's been several thousand acres uh, just right here locally that has been converted from forage hay and forage crops to uh, tree crop. So the challenge is they're going to be looking, are we developing this for a dying market? Uh, even though I know what they would be developing could be used in other parts of the country, uh, but maybe if they're looking at something specific, it's going to be, you know, something to consider. I wouldn't rule it out, but you, you would be a fool not to consider it. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that, Jack, that's the reality right now. And it's, it's very, uh, in lots of ways, it's, a, well, I guess it's sad to see that, ha for sure, ha see that happening. But the tree, the introduction of uh, almonds and pistachios and walnuts, for that matter, it's, it's just amazing. It's just phenomenal and the transformation and where that's happening. And Tom and I were on a, a conference call with about 40 other people uh, three or four weeks ago. And you know, uh, anticipating what kinds of cropping sector changes are likely to be unfolding in front of us in the future. Uh, there's, a, there's, there's uncertainty with this right now, I think, yeah, unfortunately. Absolutely. Well, really, the, the last question I had for you guys, um, and, and Jeff, if, if you wanted to, to share anything here, I'd, I'd welcome that, but um, I was curious, you know, what, what's one piece of advice each of you would have? And uh, this kind of plays on maybe the answers to the last question, but uh, for a company that would be considering or interested in trying to get established in the hay and forage market out in Western U.S.? I think I would have to ask about its uh, versatility or adaptability you know in other words is it a is it a single tool that does one thing uh, or does it have uh, attachments that make it more versatile for something else what is what is the target uh, is it a, is it a strip till implement um, is it a full width finisher you know kind of what is what's the intention what's its what's its stated goal and you know, how, how can it fit different operations? Let me just follow up there, uh, Jack, on what Tom said there. I, I guess the one thing that stands in my mind, and this comes from this past year, I've been involved with this a small player involvement with a project that uh, is actually quite exciting and quite interesting. And I don't know if I've had a chance to talk with you about this, Tom, but 
up in Northern California anyway, Jack, there's going to be in June of this year, the introduction of a, a fairly broad, uh, comprehensive program that's going to help people like, or, or provide opportunities for people like Tom, who are pioneers in terms of the uh, production practices and the outcomes that they have for producing food for the, for the world, for, for locally here. Uh, and it's going to incentivize the very kinds of practices that we're talking about. Caring for the soil, reduced disturbance, uh, less dust being generated from tillage um, practices, uh, improving soil function or soil health as we're talking about it these days. Those kinds of things increasingly the marketplace is paying attention to. And the value that, that farmers bring uh, because of the kinds of practices that they're doing there. And I think there are going to be opportunities or rewards or incentives that are going to be available for uh, leading farmers like Tom that are taking advantage of these kinds of uh, equipment, innovations and practices and the outcomes that are involved with them uh, for the broader scale environment issues there. So I think, you know, that that's happening pretty fast and there are going to be there are already 100 farmers uh, in the Northern California food hub who, are, who have been onboarded into this thing. And uh, it's, it's actually quite interesting to see how that evolves there. So uh, I, I, not the, the real challenges of water and viability of uh, particular uh, farming operations in our San Joaquin Valley, notwithstanding, uh, there are some bright spots and some there's there's good optimism as well here. Well, thank you to Jeff and Tom for sharing some of their experience and advocacy for strip till on the West Coast. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, the Andersons, for helping make this strip till farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262 262- 777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free strip-till strategies daily e-blast. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptill F-A-R-M-R and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2021 podcast series. For Jeff Mitchell, Tom Barcellus, the Andersons, and our entire staff here at Strip Hill Farmer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening.